0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855 616 1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Got this email over the weekend. Lengthy email addressed by somebody who I, I'm not gonna name her but you know it doesn't matter because she's never gonna listen to the program again. But I, I wanted to share this with you and I, I bring this up because I, I appreciate if you do what I do for a living. You know, you, you get criticized from time to time and you make people unhappy with the things you say and, and that's all. that's all well and good. It comes with the territory but I do think it's an interesting reflection on where we are as a community, as a state, as a country when you hear things like this now, let me share the email with you why I'll never listen to you ever again dear Jeff as a long long time listener and fan I wanted to share with you why your broadcast on Friday will be the last time that I and my entire family from Hartford to Appleton will ever listen to you so it's not just this lady it's everybody in her entire family While I've not always agreed with you, I always considered you intelligent and reasonably well informed. That all ended on Friday. I guess I'm still in shock. Your naive and uninformed opinions are still echoing in my head. Your show is one of your opinions, but you have an obligation and a duty not to use your personal opinions to desecrate this country even more than it was during the election process. Using your show to try to sway everyone to think that this was a fair election, the due process was served, shame on you. You have to know President Trump won this election. Americans voted, and he would have won had it not been for the criminals who rigged the voting. I know you didn't want him to win, but I still thought you were an American and believed in the process that has served our country and set it apart from all others. You have to know he will be the last great American president this country will ever see. We are now the equivalent to all other communist and socialist countries. It's not about the man. It's about the process. You should do yourself a great service by actually investigating and reading about all the cities and states where voter fraud occurred you should have known that the democrats would have stopped at nothing to take this election regardless of what america wanted you can't possibly think that the announcement of a covid vaccine two days after the election was a coincidence you should have known what a bait and switch was perpetrated on this country by the democrats you have to know And these are the emphasis in the email. You have to know that Biden will step down within six months for his crooked dealings or health issues, and Harris will be the president without ever being voted in. And since you don't know these things, you should not be allowed to go on the air and talk about how fair and equal the voting process was this election. Our founding fathers and all the brave men who lost their lives to make this country a true democracy are rolling in their graves. And once again, she concludes, shame on you. (laughs) <laughs> okay, all right. Now, see, interestingly, at the same time I got that, I got a note on Twitter from somebody who was ripping me for being nothing but a show for the Republican Party. But I, I put that all in, in, in perspective. But I thought this was, was an interesting perspective. And, of course, what set this off was a discussion we had on the Friday program where I just I tried to have the, this honest conversation. And I will be the first to acknowledge that in, in any election – where you have tens of millions of, of votes that are cast, you are always going to have some irregularities. But, but having said that, th- at least so far, for the, over the course of the last couple weeks, I don't think there has been any showing of any sort of widespread voter fraud which have, would change in a material way the, the results of, of this election. Now, now again, can you find some situation where, all right, you know, may, maybe you had in this isolated segment, you had, you had 20 people who um, weren't supposed to be able to vote, who did vote. Yeah, I, I'm going to concede that you can do that. But given all the millions of votes that were cast, you're not seeing any examples of widespread fraud. And yet this particular listener, Lord Lover, she just can't accept that and it's never going to listen to my program and shame on me for refusing to acknowledge that this election the people decided. And as I have said before, I think President Trump deserves a lot of credit. I think he ran a great race. He outperformed expectations. And if it were not for COVID-19, I think we'd be looking at a materially different result. I think he, he would have won and probably would have won in a walk. But at the same time, the numbers are what the numbers are. And absent any sort of real evidence that you have a fraudulent election, I guess I find it troubling that we have people who are clinging to this idea that, okay, something is going to change and the results aren't what the results are and this is a, an illegitimate election that was stolen you know we we had that argument in 2016 we've had that argument back in 2000 I I can't tell you how many times that argument has come up over the course of the last decades and I I just I don't think it is good for the country our number 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line have we reached a point where we should be prepared to accept the results of the election regardless of whether you were a Biden guy or a Trump guy or gal, have we reached the point where it is now time to move on to the next phase? 855-616-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. As far as I'm concerned, it's way past time. And I guess maybe I could make you happy by trying to find some obscure example of some you know, weird voting irregularity. And, and, and you know, th- that's all well and good. I'm not saying that we cannot do things better, you know, for our elections. I I, th- I think hopefully we've learned a little bit, especially with all the mail-in voting. But aren't, what do we accomplish by not moving on? And to cling to this idea that, oh, my gosh, this election was stolen without any sort of real evidence at all, to me, it, it's unproductive, it's not helpful, And at the end of the day, it is a distraction to figuring out, you know, where we go from here. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I'm a Trump supporter, but I do believe we need to accept that Biden won. I do believe it was fraudulent in many unfair ways. A huge part of the problem being the biased media. Can you imagine the media response if it was Biden in Trump's current position? Regardless, I think we have to move on and accept Harris will be our new president at some point in time. Well, see, all right. It, it when you start throwing around the terms voter fraud, that, that's that is a different thing than gee, there was there was bias. Gee, there was unfairness in the way our campaign was covered. That that's different than than fraud. And I guess that's the point I, I keep trying to make to people that, you know, when you talk about fraud, what you're trying to establish is that, gee, we, we had the Chicago way. We had, you know, graveyards full of people that were were voting. And despite the fact that it's now been a couple weeks since the election, despite the fact that you've had teams of, of operatives looking for this, what you find is that in many cases when the lawsuits have gotten filed they're quickly dismissed because there's no evidence to establish that, which isn't to say that we can't learn from things and and do things better moving forward. 855-616-1620. Let's start with um, Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, Jeff. Jeff, it's long past time to settle this. Uh, As I told your uh, program director, Biden finished with the same number of electoral votes This year, as Donald Trump did in 2016, and in 2016, Donald Trump called his victory a landslide, and now he's claiming it's rigged. Plus, Biden finished with almost five and a half more popular votes. I think the longer this goes on, the more of an effect it's going to have on our democracy and our confidence in future elections. Um, the Trump supporters, God bless them. I, I think if Donald Trump said the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, they would believe him.
1: Well, you know, it, it's, it is interesting. If, if there was going to be, if the Democrats were going to be engaging in widespread voter fraud, the, the, you know what? Why did the Republicans do so well in congressional elections? You know, Republicans picked up seats. There wasn't a blue wave. Republicans and appears, are going to hold precisely. control of the Senate. I mean, if, if you're going to if you're going to steal elections, for goodness sake, you're, you're going to going to steal them. And that's see that that's the thing. What you had, I think, is a, a recognition that we are we're a very very divided country you know and, and you, you can witness that what, what did you say five and a half million out of what 140 plus million cast i mean we're we're a very very divided country and you know a few thousand votes or a couple tens of thousands one way or the other in a couple states swing the election it weren't it went for trump's benefit in
2: 2016
1: it went for biden's benefit in 2020 i, I just i'm just not seeing evidence of fraud
2: Yeah, I I agree. And as your associate, John Mercure, pointed out, um, hopefully I'm going to get this right. He said if you uh, added the votes of the congressional representatives in the state, uh, it was like 50,000 more votes than Donald Trump got. So in other words, Republicans voted 50,000 more times for their congressional representative than they did for Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for the call, Dennis. I appreciate it. Now, look, and, and look, look and I understand there are all sorts of examples of things that, as I keep saying, I, I think that we could do better. The, e- the easiest thing in Wisconsin, the easiest thing would be to allow clerks of courts to start opening up and feeding ballots into machines as they come in. So that you, you wouldn't have to be in one of these situations where we're waiting till the city of Milwaukee dumps a hundred thousand ballots at four o'clock in, in the morning and it disproportionately, you know, swings to Democrats. I'm not saying those are fraudulent votes, but I'm showing, I do believe that it, it gives, I don't know, some sense that, that maybe things aren't on the up and up and, and, but when you all of a sudden have this huge ballot dump, it would make so much more sense to allow, like many states do, to allow the municipal clerks to start feeding the ballots into the machines as they get them not not tabulating them but just feeding them in so that when you're ready to tabulate the ballots at the end of the evening you can push the button and you can get those numbers right away so we're not delaying things for five or six hours that to me is is just an easy way to start mark in florida mark you're on wtmj hey
3: jeff and great for uh taking my phone call um i originally grew up in heartland wisconsin Not like your early caller or your person you quoted off of a tweet or a text. Right. The lady from Hartford, Wisconsin, which is about 12 miles north of where I grew up. I'm not that radical and say, I will never listen to you again. But I put great stock in what she's pointing out. Everywhere she looks, everybody she talks to voted for Trump. Now, this election revolved around five or six major incredibly intensive democrat cities and in all of those cities the vote is being challenged as i said to your producer and again i appreciate him putting me on because sometimes i'm a little radical on the conservative side as i said to him Jeff, when you were a federal prosecutor, when did you take a case from beginning arrest to criminal conviction in thirteen days? When was the last time, Jeff?
1: From arrest this to conviction? Well, to it never. You would, you, you would never. You would never get a conviction, an investigation to a conviction in thirteen days. You could get and charges within is. a week.
3: And there it well, is. The mass media has. Pulled the trigger, appointed Joe Biden the new president-elect. He's holding an office which we've never heard of before—office of the president-elect. He's so anxious to take office. These but but let me, but let me ask you this, Mark: Don't
4: you think?
1: Get, sure. Don't you think you need to have? But before we say the election was stolen or there's widespread fraud, don't you think you need to have some prima facie evidence, some probable cause, something to believe that there, there was fraud which resulted in, I don't know, several states swinging the other way? I mean, I'm just telling you, for two okay. weeks, I'm, I, we've, we've heard all this sure. stuff that's thrown up against the wall, and then, then it all just disappears.
3: And I'm hoping your producer does not say this is getting extravagant and cut me off. But, again, it's been 13 days. That evidence is coming. That evidence is coming in Pennsylvania. That evidence is coming in Michigan. That evidence is coming in Nevada. That evidence is coming in Arizona. Now, I don't know about that lawsuit they just reported today that was dropped in
1: Wisconsin. In Wisconsin.
3: Yes. But... All of these other states, according to sworn affidavits, there was rampant fraud, okay? Now, if we are going to, all of a sudden, inject this into the media, oh, there's nothing to see here, move on. That, to me, is gross irresponsibility. This has a legal process. It has the right to be played out. And if Joe Biden doesn't get his little transition team in time, so be it. The liberals went after Donald Trump for four straight years on every possible thing they could, including not giving him a grace period after he was elected. I, I, so, no, Mark. I, th- was,
1: okay. I, want, no, I want Mark. I want to make let you make your point here. And you're right. As far as that, there on the on the left, there there was never a period. I think where where President Trump was his his election was viewed as legitimate. As I said at the time. I do not think that that was good for the country and for all the people out there. Oh, Hillary Clinton, you know, won the general election, got more votes, Trump's not legitimate, Russia, Russia, Russia. I think all that served to do was do the country a huge disservice. All right now, but having said that again, you can let's talk about this. And I, I listened to you. And you said, "Okay, well, there, there's going to be this. You're going to have this in Pennsylvania. You're going to have this in Michigan. You're going to have it in Arizona." I don't know why they dropped the lawsuit in Wisconsin. Well, they dropped it because they had no basis for it. Every time I turn around, okay, Pennsylvania, there was issues about. I, I, one of these allegations was people weren't able to to watch the counting closely enough. I saw that they, they, that one was just dropped as well. I, you know, you have to have some basis for making these kind of claims otherwise it's just like a crazy guy sitting on the park bench screaming at the pigeons and and look and I understand there are people who do not want to accept the the results of this election believe me I I understand why people are unhappy with that but at the same time you you have to have if if you're going to say this was fraud you've got to come up with concrete examples of that, not just the well, we might get something someday. Now, I saw Rudy Giuliani, who's sort of, you know, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who, in my opinion, has really damaged his brand. You know, he was out there on TV talking about, well, we're we're going to have these different bombshells, but I can't tell you anything yet. Well, at, at some point in time, you wonder, are they being serious about that, or are they just trying to stoke contributions to President Trump's Political Action Committee so you know he has he has money to to spend after this. If it turns out that there is widespread fraud, that's fine. But I'm not, there's no evidence of that now, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to spend my time or your time trying to chase these things down rabbit holes where I think there's more important things to be concentrating on, namely like, let's see, from a conservative perspective, making sure you pick up one of those two seats in Georgia, those Senate seats, so there's some control and balanced government in the U.S. Senate, as opposed to obsessing about, well, President Trump really won, because the bottom line is, unless you've got a lot more than's out there now, there's no reason to believe that President Trump won. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
5: This is Jeff Wagner
6: on WTMJ.
1: Melissa Barkley and WTMJ are teaming up with the Hunger Task Force to help make a difference for families in need this holiday season. And we're also going to have a little fun along the way. Your favorite WTMJ shows will be competing to see who can help donate the most Thanksgiving turkeys to families in need. It's WTMJ Cares Pass the Turkey. And, of course, everybody knows the way this works right now. I think we've got a little bit over a week left in this uh, sub as we come up to Thanksgiving. Go to WTMJ.com to donate. Don't forget to pick your favorite WTMJ show, WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. <laughs> okay. Let us move on. I have a um, – I sent – if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 um, I sent this out over the weekend, and, and I was caught by the, the headline to the story in the journal Sentinel – thousands of Wisconsin voters wrongfully flagged as having moved, but no one knows the extent of the errors. Thousands of Wisconsin voters wrongfully flagged as having moved. And my, my tweet said, the headline could have just as easily have read, almost all of the 232,000 people scheduled to be removed from voting rolls to be removed legitimately. But, but it didn't. See, here, here's the deal. If we are going to have mail in voting, and if, as a, as a rule, our policy is now going to be that we are going to automatically send requests for absentee ballots to everybody that's on the voting rolls, well then it seems to me that we also have to make sure that those voting rolls are accurate. Because otherwise, who knows who you're sending those absentee ballot requests to. It, it just, it's fine. If we want to have mail-in voting and we want to send out the absentee ballot requests and all those things, that, that's great. But you've got to make sure it's accurate. So how do you purge the voting rolls? Well, the way the law works in Wisconsin is that they have this thing called the Electronic Registration Information System and Wisconsin uses it as well as 29 other states and it's designed to help keep the voting rolls accurate. So what they do is they monitor change of address filings with the post office. So if somebody sends in a card saying hey I've changed my address, well what they do this electronic consortium does. They, they make note of that, and then they, they notify the, the clerk's office that, hey, this person who lived in Whitefish Bay has now said that they're going to that they live in West Bend, right? They also monitor vehicle registration records. So, same sort of situation. If you have somebody who lives in Whitefish Bay and all of a sudden they've changed their vehicle registration with the DMV to um, West Bend. Well okay that's an indication you would think that the person has moved and so what they do is they notify the the local municipal clerks that hey this this has happened. So those are the big ways. There's other data but it's basically stuff with the post office when you tell the post office you've moved or when you tell the DMV that you have moved. Now most of the times, this is going to be accurate. There are, I guess, examples where it, it could be inaccurate. For example, let's say you're you you've been registering your car in Whitefish Bay, and you you want to try to get away from paying that wheel tax in Milwaukee County. So you decide you're going to register your car out at your brother's house in, in West Bend. Okay, so that would be a situation where you really haven't moved. All right, but but basically, this is going to be Correct. Right, so the Journal Sentinel has this story. Apparently, what they've done is the Elections Commission what happens then is once the Elections Commission gets these notifications, they send out postcards to people, and the, the postcards say, look, we've got evidence indicating that you have moved, and you're going to be removed from the voter rolls at your old address unless you send a, a card back saying that you still live there. Okay, so here's the numbers, and this is what the Journal central sto- story is. They sent out these notices to 232,000 voters. That it believed had moved. Again, because of the DMV stuff or the post office or, or whatever. The story now says that of those, of those 232,000 people who they believed had had moved, well now, best case scenario is they think maybe 4,700 of the 232,000 people, 4,700 might not have moved. Now, now, let's let's think about that. Statistically, that that's less than two percent. All right. That's less than two percent. Now, again, sometimes this might be human error. Sometimes I mean, who, who knows exactly? But, you know, out of two hundred and thirty two thousand indications that people might have moved. The best they can now come up with is maybe 4,700 people out of that 232,000. Maybe 4,700 really hadn't moved. And again, who, who knows why that might be. Uh, maybe what, what ends up happening is, you know, you're, you're, you and your sister are living at a place in Whitefish Bay and it's your sister that moves out to West Bend, not you, and, and so that happens. But it, it's a very, very small, percentage. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. I guess I look at these numbers and rather than a headline that says thousands of Wisconsin voters wrongfully flagged as having moved, to me the story is this system is working not just well, but it's working incredibly well. If out of 232,000 people, it, it can only find less than 5,000 who might might legitimately not have moved, that tells me it's doing a darn good job. And for those 4,700 people who get the postcard, all you have to do is send the Elections Commission a note saying, no, I'm still here. Or alternatively, if you don't do that and you show up on Election Day and you find out that you've been removed, well, we still allow people to register at the polls. I think the story is an incredible success. And I think it's something that deserves to, a success that deserves to be celebrated, number one, and number two, deserves to be followed. 855-616-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I, I mean, it seems to me, you look at these numbers and what you see is a system that is working incredibly, incredibly well if there's only less than 5,000 out of 232,000 names that it appears might have been improperly removed. And again, those are gonna be the unicorns. It's gonna be the weird situations. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This seems to me to be a system, number one, that's working. But number two is important. If we're going to have mail-in elections, and if we're going to just randomly send out uh, absentee ballot requests, the key is you've gotta make sure Sure, the voting rolls are as accurate as possible and i think we're doing a pretty good job of it 855-616-1620 we discuss in a moment
0: this is jeff wagner on wgmj
1: 855-616-1620 jamie and delafield jamie good afternoon hi um thanks for
4: taking hi, my call Sure. Um, I, I tend to agree with your point about, you know, geez, if people have moved, they should have the registration. But what I don't agree with is there's this notion that people are getting sent ballots. And who, you said, who knows who's getting these ballots? You have to apply for that ballot to your... Yeah, they're
1: sending, them, they're sending the absentee the ballot requests. Yeah, what they're right. doing is they're sending okay. ab- the absentee ballot requests, right?
4: Right. So you would have to, if you were sent improperly, sent a request, you would have to illegally go onto the website and request someone else's ballot, which is fraud. Absolutely. And and exactly. Yep. And that's that's a five year prison. You know, that's punishable by five years in prison. You would have to. You would literally have to commit fraud. It's not like they're just sending them out to people.
1: No. They're not sending ballots. No, Jamie, thanks for No, I know Jamie, thanks. I think I was very I tried to be very clear when I was saying that, that it's the absentee ballot request that they send out without you having to ask for it. At least they do it in a number of different communities. So it's the request that comes out. You are right, you would have to get it. Let's say that you are at um, I, I don't know where, where I used to live, for example. So let's say you get an absentee ballot request in the mail addressed to my late wife. You're, you're exactly right. You would have to fill it out and send it back in, at which point in time the ballot would be received, and then you'd have to, to send it back. So I, I, I understand that. That's, it's, it's not like you just automatically get a ballot. But to your point, even if you got the ballot, it would still be fraud if, you, if you'd fill it out I'm not saying that I think that this is an example of widespread fraud. Is there probably some fraud involved? Yeah, but my my point here is you you need to have accuracy in the voting rolls, I, I think, and there, there's really no excuse not to have it. it. Am I arguing, would I argue that out of the 232,000 people who had to be, you know, should have been removed, that there was 20,000 of them that committed fraud somehow? No, I'm not making that argument, but I'm just saying, why, why do we even take that chance? You know, we've got a system that works, I, I think, pretty pretty well in, in, as far as identifying people who, who've moved. Now, again, you, there might be reasons why you've, you, you've changed your address with the Postal Service but haven't changed your address um, but haven't changed your voting address. There might be reasons why you've changed your address with the DMV, but you, you haven't changed your voting address. But but those are going to be kind of like the unicorns. That's not going to be the, the, the be-all, end-all. But if we can agree that the overriding majority, the overwhelming 225,000, 228,000 out of those 232,000 names that are still on the voting rolls don't belong on the voting rolls, then it seems to me... It, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. You just want to remove them and, and just start to, to do that. Jeff, I have an example of the system in Wisconsin is working well. My son, who's currently living in Milwaukee, just registered there right before the election, but had previously requested an absentee ballot from, a wow, from my Wow County community, his previous address. He then tried returning it to that community, but it was rejected, and he received a call telling him that because he changed his registration to Milwaukee, he now had to vote there or re-register back in his original community. That's the right way it should be handled. Um, You know, kudos. Jeff, so why were those 232,000 voter names not removed from the voter rolls? It would be interesting to find out if any of those phantom voters turned in a ballot. It's a public record if they voted or not. Well, that... I mean I think that's a fair question. The reason <clears throat> they weren't removed <coughs> from the, the rolls is that there was a lawsuit that is currently being argued in front of the Supreme Court by some of the lefty organizations that are saying, okay, if you remove these people who shouldn't be on the ballot and who shouldn't be on the rolls in the first place, you will disenfranchise some people. And that's my only point here. That, you know, if you've got two hundred and thirty two thousand people who Of the 232,000, 228,000 don't belong on the rolls. It's a reasonable balance to say, okay, we're we're going to continue with this process. And if that means an inconvenience for 4,700 other people, including maybe they have to send back the card saying that they haven't moved, or worst case scenario, like I say, when they show up to vote, all that's going to happen is they're going to have to re-register. That's the absolute worst-case scenario. Nobody is telling them that they're not going to be allowed to vote, but to me this is a clear idea of of how things are supposed to be effective. Jeff, I agree that the system to remove moved voters is very accurate, so why the big fight to not remove them? Leaving them on was a huge potential for an organized fraud effort. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is a huge potential for that. Um, so I think that's kind of the bottom line of where we go with this. Um, Jeff, obviously the list is working. There's an old saying, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Nothing, no problem at all. No problem with that at all. Okay, we're going to take a very quick break. Back with much more in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. Another controversy in the city of Milwaukee, like the city of Milwaukee needed more controversies. As as you're probably aware, you will remember back in 2018, there was a lawsuit filed against the city by Milwaukee Bucks player Sterling Brown. This all stems from an incident where Brown was outside a Walgreens, illegally parked at, what, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and then the police responded to that. I, I think the initial thought was he was a guy who was there to, to rob the Walgreens because they'd had problems with with robberies late night in that area. But he, he wasn't there to rob the Walgreens. And the situation um, quickly escalated into an unfortunate situation where Sterling Brown was tasered and ultimately arrested. So anyhow, there, there's this lawsuit that has been filed. The city attorney's office has negotiated a settlement with Brown's attorneys. The settlement involves a payment of $750,000 and uh, an acknowledgement of wrongdoing on the part of the city. Now, let me just, just preface by what I said here. What I say here is a lot of times what happens in court processes are that you you settle something to make cases go away you you do risk management and you say okay well if we were to fight this um, we would spend legal fees trying to defend it to fight it but we would also we, we could lose and if we lose maybe we'd lose three if we win well we win we don't have to pay anything if we lose maybe we're going to be on the hook for two million or three million dollars that that's it so you it, a lot of times when you have settlements, it's just a, a recognition that all right, we think this is a fair way to resolve the matter um, so we don't expose the taxpayers to, to more. So I mean I think that's part of the thing that's going on with the city attorney's office, and I take no position one way or the other about whether or not it's a good settlement or a bad settlement. I, I do bring this up because the settlement, at least as proposed, is not sitting well with the Milwaukee Police Union. I have a letter in my hand from Dale Born who's the president of the police association it's addressed to the city attorney of Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Police Association and the Milwaukee Police Supervisors Organization jointly write this letter as it relates to the action of Sterling Brown versus the city of Milwaukee. As you are aware this action involves not only the Milwaukee Police Department's chief of police but also eight individuals six of whom are current members of the MPA. It has come to our attention that there is a pending resolution related to this matter scheduled for November sixteenth, 2020 before the Judiciary and Legislation uh, Committee. Based on numerous local and national reports, there has already been a tentative settlement reached by the plaintiff and your office. Um, Then it goes on to say, um, here's the deal. You're supposed to be representing us, but you haven't consulted with us. You have intentionally failed to discuss any potential settlement with our members. We found out about the potential settlement from the news. To date, you have never asked our members' opinion on the settlement offer. This is addressed to the city attorney. You have intentionally failed to provide a copy of the potential settlement to our members. To date, our members have never seen a copy of the potential settlement, despite the fact that they are bound by it terms. You have intentionally failed to include our members in any mediation efforts. There is a reported admission of a constitutional violation. While it is unclear what the admission entails, because you have also intentionally failed to provide the document to our members, it is obviously referring to the Milwaukee Police Department and our members. It is an alarming precedent as we are not familiar with the city ever settling this type of action while admitting such liability. More importantly, on behalf of our members, we are deeply concerned about how it affects their future employment and personal liability. It it goes on and, and, and on, but essentially the criticism here that police union is saying, wait a second, city attorney, you are, you're about ready to, you represent us, and you are about ready to settle this case, have the taxpayers pay out a bunch of money, and agree to various things that's going to affect our members, and you apparently, at least if these allegations are correct, you've never, you've never consulted with our, our members. Now, at some point in time, the people that are paying the freight, get get to make the ultimate decision. In that case, it's going to be the taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee through the the Common Council and presumably through the mayor. But I will say this. If it is true that the police association has not been consulted at all by the city attorney's office, that they haven't discussed the facts and circumstances of the case and why they believe that it's in the interest of the taxpayers to settle and what it means moving forward, it's it's pretty stunning. It's pretty stunning if they haven't actually consulted with them, if that's true. Now, it may well be that you explain to the police union, look, this is why we think this is a good deal. We know you don't like it. We know that you'd like us to fight it. But the bottom line is, again, we're the ones that are going to be writing the check. So ultimately, you know, we get to make the decision as how to decide it. That's a reasonable position. But if it's true that they did not consult with the union, in any way shape or form that's kind of a staggering way for the city attorney's office to operate alright when we come back what the heck happened at Serb Hall over the weekend
0: live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City this is the Jeff Wagner Show and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner
1: 855-616-1620 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line ok over the weekend there was a rally organized by the Republican Party in Milwaukee County at, at Historic Serb Hall. It was an outside rally. Uh, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark was there. There were other speakers there. It drew about uh, 500 people, and the purpose of the rally was to, I, I, I think, vent about whether or not the election was being stolen by Joe Biden, things like that. Okay, that, <clears throat> that, that's all well and good. Now, the city of Milwaukee right now has an order in place for COVID-19. It says that political gatherings cannot hold more than 100 people and attendees at a bar or restaurant must wear masks, socially distance, and remain seated unless they are arriving, departing, or going to the restaurant. Okay, this particular rally, which was not inside, it was outside, um, drew around 500 people. Most people, they didn't stand, they didn't sit, they, they stood, and <clears throat> most people weren't weren't wearing masks, but again they were outside. So what happens is they're having this this rally, it's at CERB Hall, two people from the Milwaukee County Health Department arrive and they go up to the manager at Serb Hall and they say, "Okay, look, here's the deal. you got a—they're not in compliance. You've got more than a hundred people, and you know they're not sitting; they're they're standing, etc." So the manager from Serb Hall gets on the microphone and he apparently says, "Look, I got the health department here. What you have to do is you have to sit down. Um, we we can't go on like this. Or if we do, what's going to happen is I'm going to have to shut this down." At that point in time, there's some pushing and shoving, and the guy at Sir Paul, the manager, he gets knocked down. I mean, he he, he gets knocked down. All right, that, that's it. Then ultimately, order is restored. You have a number of Black Lives Matter people who are there as well, and they're protesting, and they kind of get into it with the, the the Trump folks. But but at the end of the day, nothing too bad happens, although the video of it, you know, people push down the manager at Sir Paul. all right. All that, you want to kind of lump into this category of, you know, can't we just all grow up? I mean, seriously. And I think there is an issue of fairness here that the health department shows up to shut down the Republican rally. I, I'm wondering the next time you have a 100 or more people in the streets for a Black Lives Matter protest, will they, in fact, show up there? You know, how how's that going to happen? Will Will they show up there? So... You know, you can wonder about those different sorts of things. But but here's the bottom line, and this is what I find to be interesting. So after calm prevails, after the rally breaks up, the city of Milwaukee tells the folks at CERB Hall that they are going to be issuing them multiple citations. Uh, apparently, they were told the two inspectors who observed the violations um, left. They said, "Okay, um, here's the deal: no warnings are going to be issued due to a policy change, and Serb Hall is going to receive multiple citations." To which the, the people at Serb Hall are saying, "Okay, wait a second. We're, we're, we're having this this rally." All right, once the health department shows up and they tell us we've got a problem, we're doing everything we can to try to control this. Some people aren't resisting are resisting this, and you're going to give us a citation? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is it fair that Surve Hall is getting citations for this particular situation? Is this I don't know. I mean, I understand you show up at a bar at 8 o'clock on Saturday night or 10 o'clock on Saturday night, and it's packed to capacity, and you give the citations. I, I get that. But here you have an outdoor political rally that's going on. And you have the folks at Sir Paul that, once the health department arrives, apparently try to do everything they possibly can to get the group to comply. But they're met with some non-resistance. Is it fair that they end up getting the citations? 855 six one six one six twenty, That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. To me, I look. I, I understand the need to enforce the rules, but I have to admit, I understand the. Simp- I, I understand the guy at Sir Paul who's saying. You know, we're okay, this is a political rally. It's a legitimate sort of thing. You know, we're entitled to do this. We're not turning down the business. We're trying to get people to comply, and now you're coming along. You show up and decide you're going to give us the tickets. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's start with Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hey, Jeff. How are you
1: doing? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think?
4: Well, um... The responsibility lies on both sides, but mostly on CERB Hall. And the idea that when you rent out a, a banquet space or anything like that, you have your certain rules you have to follow. Well, then you pass those rules on to whoever's renting it. You tell them, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this. If they don't do whatever you tell them they have to do, then you have to nip that problem in the bud. If you don't take care of that problem right away by whatever means necessary. Then you're liable.
1: Well, why? Explain to me why the venue would be liable as opposed to, say, the organizers. You know, you explain the rules to the organizers, and if they go ahead and they stage something that's not in compliance with what the rules are, shouldn't they be the ones that get the citations?
4: Well, that's the thing. Is then that's when the person has to the person at the or that's renting the hall. Well, I'm I'm sorry. The person that actually. Has the Hall, uh, the manager, that's when they have to come up and say, hey, this is getting out of hand. There are too many people here or, you know, you need to put your mask on, you know, whatever. Tell them, you know, how, you know, look, this is going to be a problem and so on. And take care of the situation. Now, it doesn't help that you've got the Black Lives Matter people there. They're holding up signs to say you lost, you know, that are kind of inciting the crowd. And the Republican crowd, you know, isn't very happy to begin with. Yeah. So, yep. you know, it, it's a it basically a powder keg that was just waiting to go off. Well,
1: yeah, thanks for calling, call, Danny. And see, I guess, I guess I I look at this and say, I, I just think Serb Hall is being unfairly singled out in this particular instance. And by the way, I've been critical of some things Serb Hall has done over the years. But in this particular situation, it, you, you book it. And unless you're going to just flat out say, we're not going to allow... Um, this organization to to book it which is a whole other story I don't think you can do that you you go through what the rules are and then if the organization you you come out you can see okay people aren't complying you say to the manager look you got to remind this is what the health department does you got to remind everybody that this is what they have to do he does his best and then you know clearly the group isn't isn't following the rules now again we can talk about all sorts of double standards which I think is fair because like I say I've seen other political rallies in the city of Milwaukee over the course of the last couple weeks and I haven't seen the health department showing up and shutting them down or issuing citations, but but regardless, let's put that aside. The question is not should somebody get a citation, the question is who gets the citation and in this case, it seems to me Serb Hall was doing everything that they possibly could to make sure that the rules were being enforced. That's why I think it's fundamentally unfair that they get singled out. Um, That's that's the problem 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line uh mark in kenosha mark you're on wtmj good afternoon
5: hey thanks for having me hi mark you know i i think that uh in this case uh obviously we agree that someone has to be or should be cited for the the breaking of the rules because that's why they're there uh I think that it does make sense for Sir Paul to be the one cited for it because they're the ones with the venue. They're the ones with the responsibility to ensure that who they're renting that venue out is following and abiding by those rules. And uh, I think that if they want to avoid uh, issues like this in the future, then they should have it built into the contract that... If the people they're renting the space out to violate rules and then fees or fines come from that, then those should be passed on to the, the event host.
1: Why not have and, this? Why, why, why not? If the problem is the, the organizers have encouraged people to violate the rules, why not give them the citation? The health department's there. They can give citations to anybody they want. Why go after the business?
5: Because they're the ones that are hosting the event, and if you don't, mm-hmm. then they're just going to sit there and say, oh, well, our hands are off, we couldn't do anything about it, and then it just keeps happening over oh, but, and over but in, and over but, again. But in this case, like they said, did.
1: Be- in, in this but in this case, they did, Mark. The, the health department shows up. They say, you realize these people aren't in compliance with this. And so the, org- the, the people at syrup Hall, they try to get people under control, and, and, and the, the group isn't paying attention to them. So at that point in time, doesn't it make more sense to go to the people that are causing the problem as opposed to the business?
5: I think that they should have built that somehow into the contract for the people renting the hall. And I'm not saying they shouldn't uh, go after the organizers or find them as well. But I do think that they, uh, as the the people in the hall, they – they knew who they were renting out the hall to. They know the, the history of the events and rallies oh, like that. Oh, okay, well, Mark, up, Mark well, thanks, well, thanks
1: for the call, but be, be real careful with that, Mark, because if what you're saying there is, okay, because this is a Republican rally, they, they, shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have rented out the hall. Okay, I'm, if, if, be careful with that because does that mean that, you know, okay, if it's the Black Lives Matter movement or it's the Democrat Party or whatever, then then we're not going to rent those out to them? I mean, that's a really slippery slope too. To go, go down. Jeff, the rally was simply to support President Trump. The health department was there to harass conservatives. The Black Lives Matter movement was there to harass conservatives. There wasn't enough seats for all 500 people to sit down, so the health department knew it was impossible for the crowd to comply, which does raise that, that question about whether Tom Barrett's health department was targeting this particular rally in an effort to try to, I, I don't know, make it stop or or whatever. And I do think it's a legitimate issue, because like I say, there have been other political rallies over the course of the last couple weeks, and we haven't had reports of the health department going out um, to, I don't know, like the rally that was at Midtown celebrating the election of Joe Biden. Haven't had them going out and uh, trying to shut that down. Jeff, so if I go to Serb Hall, Pull my pants down and poop in the middle of the banquet room, Serb Hall will get a fine or arrested, not me. This makes absolutely no sense. Jeff, has the health department ever gone out and checked on any other political events since this rule? They clearly targeted the reality. Well I, I think that there's I think that there's an extent at that. Jeff, I think the organizers should at least be partially responsible for paying the fines. I would say they're completely responsible for the fines if the contracts signed included the information. I mean I guess I guess this is the, the thing and we're I'm not one of these people who argues that health departments shouldn't be enforcing COVID rules. I, I get it. But this was a different situation. And Tom Barrett knows it's a different situation. And the Milwaukee Health Department knows it's a situation. This was an outdoor rally in a parking lot. All right, This wasn't like, again, a Friday night or a Saturday night where you've got all these people crammed in a bar. This was an outdoor political rally. I'm not even sure it's constitutional to limit the size of rallies to 100 people, but let's put that aside for a minute. You knew that that was the situation, and I I think you can make a strong argument that the health department went to this particular thing knowing that they were going to find something and then trying to use this as a way to make an example of the conservatives. We'll see next time there's a Black Lives Matter movement. But the bottom line of this is, look, I'm not endorsing First of all, pushing down the manager at Serb Hall. And again, that's, that's unacceptable behavior. At the same time, I think this is one where no harm, no foul. You put the fines in your pocket and you recognize that Under these particular circumstances, this is not what that fine power was all about. Now, whether the city of Milwaukee will do it, because, again, it's a conservative rally, and that's not consistent with where Tom Barrett is and where the health department is. But if they want to have credibility moving forward, I'm not sure this is the fight that they want to pick. Back with more in just a minute.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Just a couple more texts on that. Jeff, these things are in the contract, but that isn't the point here. As a meeting planner, I'm responsible for the actions of my group, and I must abide by the facilities rules as well as all official regulations. City Health Department was being lazy in sending a message to Serb Hall that we're going to be here every time you hold a Republican rally. Uh, I think that's it. Jeff, I agree if the health department made the rules, they should have helped the venue. Makes me think of a scenario in the future with social workers going to a family trouble instead of uh, police departments. I can just imagine how well that that is going to go. Yeah, see, you would think that the health department would want to work with the venue to make sure that they can get people to comply. And again, if I'm not saying you shouldn't have issued tickets, but if you believe it's the event organizers that are causing the problem and the venue is doing everything it possibly can to rein this in, how do you, how do you give them the, the citations? But you do it again because it's the city of Milwaukee, it's because you are trying to discourage I think some people from, you know, holding, allowing these Republican rallies to be held, et cetera, et cetera. And moving forward, the question is going to be, will this be an equal opportunity enforcement? And next time we have people that that take to the streets or, or whatever and are gathering together in large groups, will the health department go out and try to shut those down and issue citations as well? We will see. Hey, one of the real interesting things that's going on is assuming, for the sake of argument, that at the end of the day, President Trump leaves in January. And I understand that there's some people who are just saying, no, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, all right. assuming for the sake of argument that it happens, the question becomes, what what happens next? And interestingly, over the course of the last well week or so the president has broken very very bad on on fox news fox news of course a conservative outlet that's made just incredible inroads very very successful over the last decade or more by creating an alternative to the the mainstream media's approach to things well for a longest time you know President Trump was a creation of Fox News. He had, you know, nice, you know, he had shelters on Fox News. Well, okay, there's been a falling out. He's criticized some of the anchors. He was very unhappy when Fox News correctly said that uh, he was going to lose Arizona. Got very, very upset. Apparently had a number of people calling the, the desk, the decision desk at Fox News, complaining that they had made that call, you know, prematurely. And as it turns out, While Arizona was close, President Trump has, in fact, lost um, Arizona. So one of the things that's out there now is that apparently at least some allies of President Trump are exploring, as a a next act, buying Newsmax TV. Newsmax is, is a relatively small startup operation, but the idea would be buy it turn that into a version of kind of Trump TV and see if you can use it to compete against um, Fox News. Now, th- there's talk about that. The guy at Newsmax says, well, look, we're, we're not interested in, in becoming Trump TV. You know, if he wants to have a weekly show, that would be something we would be interested in. But the bottom line is, you know, we're going to be an independent news operation, so we don't want that. Don't know if that's really going to be the case or not, but there's no question that there's been a falling out between president trump and fox news and, and i think some of the disaffected supporters of the president are going to be looking for other alternatives and my guess is it probably is at the end of the day going to hurt fox a bit how much we'll see when we come back really good news on the COVID 19 front we will discuss stick around this is jeff wagner
5: welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj
1: Okay, the big news of the day and the reason why the uh, stock market is, is, is up is uh, another vaccine company, in this case it's Moderna, they're releasing results saying that they've got this vaccine. It is 94.5% effective. Um, they're saying that they're going to wait for fuller safety data later on this month but they anticipate that, assuming that there's no sort of setback, they anticipate that they're going to look for federal authorization for this vaccine to um, be out in the market by early December. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be able to get it by December. What they found is the people in the study... Um, who had developed COVID-19 with symptoms, 90 had received a placebo. Only five had received their vaccine. So those are pretty good numbers indicating that this vaccine appears to be working. Now, it's still early. Don't know this for sure. But this comes on the heels of the news last week that that Pfizer was on the way to developing um, a vaccine as well. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't know about you, but but I admit, I'm I'm suffering with COVID fatigue. Um, unlike a couple months ago, where I would have told you I didn't know anybody that had COVID, now I know a lot of people that that had COVID. Now, thankfully, um, in the cases of people I know who had it. Everybody that I'm aware of has recovered. One of my friends was in the hospital for a couple of days on oxygen, but, but everybody else I know has recovered. But I know that that's not the case for other people. I know it's a big deal. I'm one of these guys who believes that you can't lock down this country, destroy the economy as a way of dealing with this. So we, we have to figure out a way to balance the need for public safety Um, versus that the need to keep the economy rolling so and it's it's a difficult balancing but it seems to me that the clearest and easiest answer for this and the easiest way you try to get to what they call that herd immunity is by having a vaccine that is in fact effective now I understand that not everybody is going to be willing to get that vaccine I understand there's some people who just flat out don't believe in vaccines, whether it's a vaccine for polio, or for measles, or for the flu shot, or for COVID. I understand that. And, and this really isn't necessarily, this segment isn't really devoted to them, because we're not going to change people's minds. But for people who are out there who aren't the, the hardcore anti-vaccine folks, the question becomes, how soon will you sign up? Now, nobody wants to be a guinea pig for this, but at the same time, we're past that, that guinea pig stage. And already you, you see the different developments that are out there and you see these different successes. Our number, eight five five six one is the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I've said this before, but... The further we get into the pandemic, the more I look at these numbers that are absolutely skyrocketing, the more I look at the strain that's being put on healthcare systems, the more I look at how we're having to adjust all the things that we do in, in life, um, I, I'm at a point where, you know, once this comes out, once it is made available, once my doctor says, Jeff, you've never had an adverse reaction to shots in the past, I think you should go ahead and do it, I'm there. And, and if that means that I'm one of the first people in that first wave, if I can do it, I'm comfortable doing that. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will you get a vaccine, a vaccination, let's say, within 90 days of when it first becomes available? My answer is, you bet. that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I want to get back to normalcy, and I guess I think that that's the quickest way to do it if we start getting the vaccinations. And if that means I'm going to be one of, if you want to call it a guinea pig, I'm willing to do it. 855-616-1620, will you get a vaccination within 90 days of it becoming available? My answer is, heck yes. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so you get the Moderna announces today. They've got this new vaccine. The early study shows 94.5% effectiveness. They're hoping to get approval by early December to start rolling this out. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be nationwide. I'm here to tell you... um, As far as I'm concerned, as soon as this is available, I'm getting it. My question is, how about you? Absolutely not, Jeff. Jeff, a resounding yes. I'll race you to the head of the line. Either pharmaceutical companies are highly capable of developing and producing a safe and effective vaccine. Jeff, I'm a person who doesn't have a lot of faith in vaccines and simply doesn't trust them. But at this point, where we are in this world, I would have to say that I'm going to get it ASAP. Jeff, I'm 53. I've never had a flu shot, but I will get the COVID vaccine when available. I may be a guinea pig, but it's the only way to beat this and save lives. And I would add, get us back to some sense of of normalcy Jeff I'm with you if I can get the vaccine I'll get it ASAP so I don't have to worry about who I've been exposed to also I'm one of those folks that never gets a flu shot but I'm with you I'm ready to move on to normalcy Um, Jeff are these pharmaceutical companies going to provide the vaccine for COVID to the general public for an affordable price or will they be greedy as usual and charge such an exorbitant fee that someone would have to sell an organ don't think so, but you know, who knows? Jeff and Fox Point says I'm definitely getting this when it's available. Um so uh Jeff uh, yes 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 and yes Jeff having COVID right now which isn't pleasant I would still not be in line right off the bat I think I would wait about a year Jeff I check with my doctor and oncologist if they approve I will be the first in line Jeff my wife my school age kids and I plan to get it as soon as it's made available to us while there's always a chance there's a negative reaction to the vaccine it seems there's a better chance of a negative reaction to COVID-19 than to an approved and tested vaccine. Uh, Jeff, I'm willing to take whatever risk of long-term side effects there is to end the pandemic. Not everyone needs to take the vaccine. I will, therefore, volunteer to do so. Jeff, I'm a strong believer in vaccines. As soon as it's offered to me, I will take it. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with John in Sheboygan. Hi, John.
7: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I'm 68 years old with pre-existing conditions, and I am on a self-imposed personal leave of absence. And as soon as the vaccine becomes available, I want it so I can get back to work. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you
1: just you, you want that sense of normal. So now, you understand that there might be some risks involved in this, right? But you're willing to take those risks?
7: I'm willing to take those risks. I'd probably risk right now to go to a big box store. Yeah, and see yeah. all of uh, Kens and Karens not wearing masks.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the call, John. I appreciate it. You know, I mean, I guess it, it is kind of that that balancing. Now, if I had, if, if first of all, if my doctor were to say to me, uh, Jeff, you know, I'm looking at your medical history and I don't think this is safe. That's a whole different story, and and, and maybe I'm in a unique situation because. I regularly get flu shots. I've never had an adverse reaction. I get the shingle shot. I get the, you know, I I get all the the tetanus. I get all the different things when they they come up, and I've never had any sort of significant adverse reaction. Am I saying that you get the flu shot, and then maybe a week later you get a little, like, low-grade fever or something? Well, yes, sometimes that happens. But I'm talking about something that's debilitating. So I guess given that that hasn't ever happened before, I have no reason to assume that it's going to happen again, do I? Let's talk to Jim in Cedarburg jim you're on wtmj
3: hey jeff move on over on the guinea pig train okay i (laughs) want to go to the games and argue politics with you so (laughs) from what i understand this vaccine does not it's not like previous flu vaccines where they actually inoculate you with particles of the flu you know or the coronavirus it's um just something that attacks messenger rna and And makes your body more prepared if you were to contract the virus from somebody else. Right. If you know more about it, I'd like to hear more, you know, but it sounds a lot worse
2: if if it it works the way they say it will, you know.
1: um, Yeah, well, thanks for calling. Matter of fact, it's funny that you should mention that because I'm not a medical doctor, nor do I play one on the radio. But there's a really interesting piece that I have in front of me that appears in the Wall Street Journal today talking about this thing. And you are exactly correct. Traditional vaccines, let me just, this is what the story says. In classic vaccines, like those such as those against measles or polio, the patient is inoculated with a weakened or inactivated version of the virus. This then triggers the immune system to produce a specialized antibodies that are adapted to recognize the virus. After vaccination, the antibodies remain in the body. If the patient later becomes infected with the actual virus the antibodies identify it and help neutralize it okay the vaccines in the works instead of using the whole virus to generate an immune response these vaccines rely on coronaviruses outer spike proteins which are what antibodies use to recognize the virus you know then it goes on to talk about how it's a little bit different I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this but it doesn't appear that these that they're looking at they're going to actually inject you with 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 coronavirus with COVID-19 so if that makes people more comfortable Deb in Fond du Lac Deb you're on WTMJ
6: hi Jeff hi Deb. Um, I, I have mixed feelings on this um it's not that I don't trust um the, uh, the drug companies I'm there the scientists and should know should know what they're doing obviously they do but I have I'm a high-risk person I have a diabetes too I have a heart condition, and I'm 69 years old, and it's really strange because when they came out with the vitamin D and zinc, I've been taking that by myself for a couple of years, and um, I've been doing well. I never got the flu shot. The doctor used to push flu shot, flu shot. I never got it. I never had two minutes of anything. I, I you, know, you know, just, just hung out. And it's kind of like a rush shell ho, oh, hurry up, go get it, go get it and um I just have problems with that because our bodies are eventually going to get used to this whatever is, and it's a horrible, horrible thing i'm not I'm not taking away from it at all and my um one brother had it, and he was he was seventy three and he made it, so it's other things that are underlying that they don't realize so
1: Right. No, thanks for calling, and I appreciate it and again. It's it's going to, you know, it's going to be an individual decision that that people are going to have to to make uh, on this particular situation and, and i get it that that's what you're going to have to do and you're going to have to balance these types of things out and there might be individuals who i don't know because of individual health concerns or whatever you decide to pass and i get that i respect it but at the same time for i think most of us who are otherwise healthy well you know that that's where you go mary in waukesha mary you're on wtmj good afternoon
8: Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I won't have a choice. I will have to get this, and I am fine with that because, like you, I I want to get back to normalcy. Um, but I work at an assisted living location, so we I manage right. a facility, and we have to get it. We will not have a choice. And I do have a couple employees that are very nervous about that. They're in their forties and just are very scared about it. But we won't have a choice. If you want to keep your job, we're we're going to be on the forefront of this, and and I'm okay.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask. So I, you, you're, you are okay with that? That's not a big issue for you?
8: It's not. Um, I you know, I was one of those people I didn't even want to get flu shots before I started this job, and now I've been getting them for the last several years, have never had a problem. And, again, I'm just to the point where I want back to somewhat normal. This is very, very difficult. I understand the you know, extremeness of this. My brother and sister-in-law have had this for the last two weeks. They're pretty sick but are recovering at home. And I, if
1: there's a chance that this is gonna help, I, I want in on it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, exact, I think, and I guess that's that, that thats what I'm, I'm thinking. I'm trying to balance this out now, and, and maybe this is just naive. I've been doing this for a long time, but maybe it's just naive on my part, but I, I really don't believe that the government's gonna approve a vaccine that's going to be incredibly dangerous to large chunks of people. Now, I, I understand when we had Years and years ago, it would have been back in the the 70s, when we had the, the swine flu shots, there were a very, very small group of people who had a a reaction to the swine flu shots and it resulted in all this litigation concern. The question was, did it cause Guillain-Barre syndrome or something like that? And and I remember for a small group of people, it it was an issue. I'm not going to argue that this is going to be something perfect and and my guess is just like you have people that have adverse reactions to the flu shot, you are probably going to have some people who have adverse reactions to, you know, the vaccine for COVID-19. But I don't believe that that's going to be the vast majority of people. So I guess I'm willing to take that that chance unless my doctor comes in and says, well, don't do it, Jeff, because I think it's unreasonably risky. Rob in Illinois. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
7: Yeah, uh, Jeff, um, in regards to the numbers and everything about being a statistic, when you look at Moderna, they have somewhere between thirty to 33,000 people in Phase 3 clinical trials. Uh, Pfizer happens to have somewhere between forty-three to 44,000. So if we call that 75,000 pieces of data, you have so much information about the adverse you know, impact of this vaccine that I really don't see the benefit of waiting a whole year because 75,000 data points is, uh, is plenty of data to see how effective this is and what are the side effects that are coming in.
1: Yeah, and, and again you, you don't you know, look, I, I mean nobody wants to be that, that guinea pig, but to your point, we're we're past that guinea pig stage. You know, we're it's it's not like five or six months ago people are saying, Hey, would you volunteer for the trial? We're we're now past that and it appears that they're they're on the way towards finding some sort of positive resolution of this.
7: Yep, exactly. And yeah. so again, I don't have a problem at all with going in for the vaccine.
1: Thanks for call. I appreciate it. Here's Lou in West Dallas. Jeff, there is a reason that people developing the vaccines are doctors. That means they went to school longer than the guy at the West Dallas bowling alley telling me not to get the shot. Count me in. Um, Jeff, it is equally irresponsible to argue the point that this vaccine is 100% proven safe long-term as it is to argue that the vaccine is going to give you autism. Well, I don't think anybody would be arguing that it's it's – 100% safe long-term. I don't think anybody knows that, but I, I think the, the bottom line is, is it going to be effective? Is it going to work for most people? And, and it's, it, look, it's sort of like COVID, as we've talked about. The vast majority of people who are going to get COVID are going to be... Some people aren't going to get sick at all. Other people are going to get a little sick and then they're going to get better and and it's going to be fine. And then you're going to have a small number of people who are going to have a really serious adverse reaction. Uh, And and those are the people, of course, that you want to protect. We know who most of those folks are that end up in that situation. So here's the bottom line again of all this. It's, It's what do you do? How do you balance all this stuff out? And where does it come down? I just think it's really, really good news because we've got to get past this. And, and again, I I don't know when we're going to get to the new sense of normalcy. Do I think you're going to automatically have – opening day at the end of March at Miller Park? Do I think we're going to be back in a situation where you have you know 45,000 people sitting shoulder to shoulder? I don't know if we're quite there yet, but I guess as, as I look forward to next summer, and we've got to get through the winter, but as I look forward to next summer, I hope we can go back to State Fair. I hope we can go back to Summerfest. I hope we can go back to you know all these outdoor activities that we used to enjoy. I hope we can get to a point where you can go and you can stand in the beer tent and you can listen to the band play at the Lions Club outing I want to get to that point and and if if part of that means people committing to getting the vaccine I'm willing to to do that public part now will lots of people do it I don't know I tend to think so because I think again we're just ready to get past this but time will tell back with more in just a couple minutes this is Jeff Wagner
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. So glad to have you with us. You know, it's the new McCarthyism, and, and it's the lack of tolerance for views that don't fit into the the perceived. Matrix of of political correctness and, and the ability to kind of um, sort of try to erase them. Period. Let, let me give you an example of it. I, if, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I, I read a lot. I, I and I, I try to have a variety of books going. I, I like biographies. I, I like silly fiction. I, I like um, historical. Type of things, Um, and a matter of fact, I just got done reading a book on the history of the CIA. A little bit dry, but but kind of interesting. And I like stuff involving pop culture. I mean, it. it, But one of the things I always try to do is every third or fourth book, I try to go back and reread a a quote unquote classic. You know, one of one of the great books. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's something by Steinbeck, or it's something by Hemingway, or something by Mark Twain. Something that that maybe I hadn't read for. Years. Maybe, maybe I hadn't read it since high school. Maybe I didn't even do a good job of reading in high school. But I, but I go back and, and I read some of this stuff, the, the great books. The one I'm working my way through now is uh, Joseph Heller's Catch-22, you know, which is, uh, again, you know, everybody's seen the movie. <clears throat> the book came out in the 60s, but it's an interesting thing. And I, I go back and, and, and read these things, but it, it's the great books. What's happening, though, is a lot of the great books of American literature are trying to be washed away. Story in the LA Times the other day about Burbank, and Burbank is kind of like where Hollywood is and things like that. The school district has just announced that until further notice, teachers, middle and high school English teachers at Burbank Unified School District will not be allowed to teach some books that have been required reading in their curriculum for decades. Five novels, Include are included in the list. First of all, I think what you can make an argument is, is maybe the great American novel, To Kill a Mockingbird by, by Harper Lee. And if you haven't read the book, chances are you, you've seen the, the tremendous movie about that. It's set in the 1930s and it focuses on um, a girl scout. Her name is Scout and, and her, her father, Atticus Finch, who's representing a, a man who's wrongfully accused of, of a crime. And it's, it's set in, uh, again, the antebellum South, and it deals with issues of racism. And it has some, some tough language in it, but it's representative of the times. To Kill a Mockingbird is off the list. Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn off the list, and again because the the n-word appears in that book. John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, and two you might not be as familiar with, Theodore Taylor's The K, that's a book um, that, that involves, I don't think I've, honestly, I don't think I've ever read it. But that's a book that, again, it's sort of a coming-of-age uh, situation featuring a, a white child who learns from the suffering and wisdom of, of of black people. And then the final book that's on the list is something called Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. That's, uh, that's a young adult classic. It's written by a, a black author and it, it again it focuses on a, a young black woman growing up in the south so but it, it, it contains language i mean it has the n-word and things like that all five of those books have been banned we're, we're told that we cannot read these books anymore despite the fact that in, in some cases for example the, the one book it, it's written by a black author our number is 855-616-1620 that's the Accurate mortgage talk and text line i guess I think you know one of the ways that, that we advance as a society is that, first of all, there, there is great literature that, that's out there, and that, that great literature I means something that's written, for example, by, by Mark Twain, you know, around, you know, circa 1900 or wherever, that, that's going to reflect Twain's perspective, it's going to reflect the mores of, of that time you know the, to kill a mockingbird it's set in you know the 1930s in a small southern town it's a hard exposition that talks about racism but yeah, so it's going to have some of the language there that reflects that of mice and men john steinbeck just a classic just a classic story and the others our number 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line it, it is interesting to me that in the era of political correctness We're now getting to this point where we're effectively, we're going to be book banners. And the justification was some girl comes home, uh, some high school student comes home and complains to her parents because some kid uses an inappropriate term towards her that he says he, he learned or heard in one of these books. Okay, well, well, first of all, my guess is that that's not really where the kid heard that inappropriate term. That would be number one. But secondly, that's not a justification for for banning the books and doing away with literature. Now, if you want to give some sort of context to that, and if the teacher says, okay, this is why we're reading To Kill a Mockingbird, because we're studying racism in a small town in the South in the 1930s. I have no problem with context. But what do you think about the idea of book banning? Have we reached a point where these great American novels of mice and men for goodness sakes were not allowed to teach them to kids is this Is this good for our society? and my argument would be absolutely not i don 't think it 's good for anybody not to not to read, number one, and number two, not to read these various classics, which is one of the reasons, like I say, every third or four, fourth book I read, I try to make it one of, of these classics. And many of the classics were written in, in the 1900s, you know, or the early part of this century. And, and, yeah, they're going to reflect different things. But, yeah, a book that you read that was written in 1910 is going to have a different sensibility than one that's written in 2020. But it doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. All right, do we get rid of these? Do we not allow kids to read these because, well, they just can't handle it? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
5: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, holy tipper gore. How much popular music, including most rap music, is also gonna to need to be banned for the use of inappropriate words? Jeff, I consider myself sitting well for the left of center, and I find it disturbing that we're using censorship in schools. Reading to kill a mockingbird was part of what helped me face what I believe was my own racist behaviors. I'm a better person for having as part of my education. Hopefully, reason and better judgment wins out with the school board in Burbank. Jeff, it's the dumbing down, but yet they go home and listen to rap music and, and play games like Grand Theft Auto. Give me a break. You can't stop teaching history. Jeff, I'm a liberal Democrat. I think it's a dangerous path to ban books. And you're right. They can be taught with context. I absolutely agree. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, like I say, you, you, provide, you provide a context. Remember when they were originally talking about not allowing Gone with the Wind to be shown? Well, I, I thought that was crazy. But then they say, okay, well, we're going to put a little bit of a disclaimer saying, okay, this is a specific, this was written for the Times, this is this great American novel, etc. Um, it's not meant as an endorsement of Antebellum South or the Confederacy at all. You, you can provide a disclaimer if you want, and you can teach context, but that doesn't mean we would ban it. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
7: Good afternoon, Jeff. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here.
1: Yeah, go
4: ahead. Go ahead. I
7: yeah, can hear you. Um, I I agree with you completely. Um, you know, it seems like that there's been, especially this year, trying to you know erase history. And you know, when you erase history, you're deemed to repeat it. Um, it's not going to help by doing that. In fact, talking about the disclaimer of Gone with the Wind, I remember when I read Mark Twain. There was a disclaimer at the beginning or Huckleberry Finn, um, there was a disclaimer at the beginning of it basically saying that um, there's certain language that the modern reader might find offensive. And right, there right. also said that it actually puts Jim into a better light than it does the people that, you know, talk, you know, bad about him because he's black. Um, yeah. it's
4: you can't. Oh, no, Jim, Jim is one the of the
7: heroes. I
1: mean right. Th- yeah, I mean, I mean that—that's that, part of the thing. That uh, if you read Huckleberry Finn, the you know Jim is one of the heroes. He's like one of the mentors for the kid. I mean, it, it's actually a very positive exactly. role model. Yeah, that. But of course, people don't don't understand that. They can't see through the, that. And and again, Twain is a product of his time. I'm not endorsing the language, but it, it is what it is. And so let's understand Absolutely. it, appreciate it, and move on. Yeah,
7: move on. And, you know, speaking of To Kill a Mockingbird, both of those novels I read when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, again, it shows that, I mean, Atticus obviously is the hero, but, you know, Tom Robinson is the scapegoat for, you know, racism, basically. And the other thing I wanted to mention, another book that I read around that time was Fahrenheit 451. And, you know, trying to ban books to appear woke does not work. In fact, it's showing how unwoke you are.
1: No, th- thanks for the call. You know, it's funny you should mention that because I ju- just got a um, just got a text. Jeff, everybody should read or reread Fahrenheit Four Five One, which is the Ray Bradbury book. Ray Bradbury, I think, about about book burning in the mo- in the futuristic society where where that's how we control thoughts. You know, we, we, we burned all the books because heaven forbid you should see something that that goes against the whatever the political particular culture is of, of the time. That's the new McCarthyism. That that's what Stalin did, and that's what you're starting to see play out now under the guise of political correctness. I. Think Think that we are all better people if we if we encourage people to read and we appreciate the great books and we expand our mind and we can recognize that okay Ernest Hemingway is a product of his times John Steinbeck is a product of his time I mean the, the list just goes on and on and on and you might not agree with me that that some books deserve you know the the particular place they have you know in the American culture and and, and that's a fun discussion to have but I, I think it's really scary if we get to the point where we say, okay, we're going to look through this stuff and we're going to say, okay, this, this particular phrase or, or this content, it's too uncomfortable, or we, we don't like that particular word, so we're, we're not going to allow people to read it. Very You know, very scary. There's just no question about it. Jeff, will they get rid of all the rap songs that have the N-word in them? Well, no, I guess my my answer is probably not. So what, what, what can you do about that? Bottom line is it's all about, again, trying to make sure that we don't censor great art, whatever that may be. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.